Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that from the outside may just look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. I'm back. And we're back and better than ever. We are. Yeah. Although not better than ever. I well, am no. really, really unwell. <laughs> I am really sick. Um, yeah. We had our birthday last week. Yeah, that's why there wasn't an episode. We yeah. share a birthday. We do. Uh, August 28th, if you want to, you know. Um, There's literally no way of you giving us anything. No. Um, and I wouldn't want anything from you anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's our birthday. Um, I'm, I'm not well. How are you feeling about getting older? Um, well, well, I'm going to the dentist to like have a lot of stuff done with my teeth. I just <laughs> so, got back from the dentist. Because we're old. <laughs> How's the back? Um, my back's good. Um, the weather's starting to get colder, mm-hmm. and I have like quite bad arthritis, but at the moment it's fine because I'm on so much fucking coating. <laughs> I'm on so <laughs> muddy painkillers because of my teeth that I'm fine. Everything's great. Everything's kind of warm and fuzzy. <laughs> Love a little opiate, don't you? Eh? I do. It's it's you, pretty. You, it's, you're glowing. I well, sort of glow. I look sickly. <laughs> I'm sickly, but kind of. But you feel great. I do. I do. That's um, what's important. What's on the inside? I'm my reaction times are shocking, <laughs> so I, I can't play um, beat 'em ups. But oh well. Um, but yeah, so like last week, um, I didn't even get to go out with my boys. You went out. Yeah, you I went out. We went to this. Went to the arcade in Croydon. Um, the heart of gaming. The heart of gaming in Croydon. It's a place that they took a load of the machines out of the Trocadero. Mm. So it's like we'll have a little, you know, regression session and uh, go and see if we can find it. It was weird. It was it was a proper arcade in that it's dank of bo, <laughs> a kind of teen bo that I haven't smelt since I was in school. <laughs> did it smell like a placebo gig? It very much did. <laughs> Holy shit! Fantastic. Yeah, it really did. But you know, we got to play a few beat up beat em ups and play the Tyco machine. Did you play Money Puzzle Exchanger? We did play Money Puzzle. There are two Money Puzzle Exchanger machines there. I think. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, so like, yeah, so. Last week was the final day of filming for my wife's series, mm-hmm. and my wife got really ill, and then I caught it. <laughs> so I've been ill now for a while. It's not great. I don't feel very good. Oh. And then I turn on the telly, or the radio, or look on Twitter, and I feel worse. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like grown-up either. Yeah. I say grown-up... It feels weird. Like this week, it's Lily's last first week of school. Yeah, because she'll be going off to university after yeah. that, right? Yeah, and that makes me feel old. <laughs> Even though I'm not that old, I'm only 34. Yeah, that's, you know, half mm. a life. Mm. I've, done, I've done the yearly thing of like, okay, I actually need to start taking care of myself now. So I like, bought a load of Molly vitamins, mm. bought like old man magic oh. on the internet. So I bought a load of apple cider, vin- apple cider vinegar. <laughs> Which I've had for ages. You've, I've seen you taking it. But. Yeah. Well, I've had it for ages as well, because I had it around because of vegan. It's, they use it for a lot of ingredients, a lot yeah, of recipes. Yeah. But yeah, it tastes nice. I like drinking it. <laughs> but I like drinking vinegar. <laughs> Why are my teeth falling apart? <laughs> i got apple cider vinegar with the mother. <laughs> yeah. It's like, will the mother go down? Yeah, that's the special yeah. the one with all the bits in it. It's so great. pagan. It is. I love it's, it. It's pretty great. Um, but yeah, it's It's weird. It's weird. It's gonna be. It's gonna feel really weird to like. It's just really, like, it'll be next birthday. It'll be weird. Yeah. Because it'll be straight after my birthday, and for the first time in my relationship with my wife, there will be no child around. Hmm. Will there be the dog, who is way more needy than Lily ever has been? 
Yeah, yeah. That's my main thing. Just, getting I, old is just watching. I, I'm never, I'm never that bothered about getting old. Like mm. I still like feel okay. I haven't got like a lot of like health problems. But it's definitely as you're getting older and like. Like, I know it's like my family, like, mm. gets health problems and things like that. And you start kind of, oh, I need to, you know, be more there for family and all that. And um, I'd never spent my, like, childhood wishing that I could stay a child. I mm. only wanted to be this age Yeah. when I was a child. Mm. Because, you know, like, no one listens to you even, like, you've, you're kind of always struggling against that kind of not not having like not being able to say anything or not being able to like get your point across or anything mm. like that and you know hey look at me now <laughs> look at me now I've got out of the 14 left wing British podcasts <laughs> formed in the last two years we are number let's say 12 <laughs> no one can ignore me no one I bestride like a colossus across this town <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, that's it. I'm going to have to learn how to drive. That's that's the thing. That's me feeling. Oh, okay. There's a mark. Thirty-four years of age. I'm going to learn how to drive. Yeah, I can't drive. I learned how to drive when I was like when I was seventeen. I did a lot of lessons, but I never passed my test or anything. Mm. I, I, it's because uh, I've got like yeah, I've had like a load of family members have died in the last mm. couple of months, um, and yeah, and like now that both my mum and my dad have both decided independent of each other in their new relationships to both just live in Winnebago's. <laughs> I'm going to have to learn how to drive cause the, the, to catch them. <laughs> <laughs> to get them out of uh, scrapes with small town sheriffs. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh God, it's infuriating. <laughs> like, it's one of the things I'm really hoping with if we leave the EU, that they do make it so all the, um, all the pensioners have to come back because I can't be asked for going to Spain to find my dad. <laughs> It'd be much easier if it's somewhere in the country, in this country at least. <laughs> so, one of the topics this week we wanted to talk about, we were talking a bit, a bit about it um, last week when it happened, well, two weeks ago when it actually happened, mm. uh, Corbyn's media reforms. Yeah. Um, he made a speech uh, outlining what he, how he wants to see the government interacting with media in the future. Um, proposed a few things about the BBC, uh, proposed a digital licence fee to help fund the BBC, uh, paid for by a tax on big, with, uh, on big tech businesses and broadband providers. He suggested that licence fee payers should elect representatives to the BBC's governing board, potentially handing power to critics of its news output. Um, that was from The Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> I just read it out. without Just like The Guardian, I just kind of repeated it. Um Require the BBC to publish equality data, including for social class, for all creators of its content, whether in-house or external. So, like, I'm broadly in favour of that, hmm. right? Hmm. I need more definition I, of creators of content. Yeah? And also their definitions of class, because I've got a sneaking suspicion that say they needed, say they needed, like, say tomorrow, Yeah. you wanted to have... Um, well, actually, I can point to a bunch of commissioners at the BBC, like for drama and comedy, mm. who you could define them as working class. They are from the north. They are from poor upbringing. Yeah. It's just that now they're in their 60s and they've worked for the BBC their entire life and now they're millionaires. <laughs> but, you know, they, they'd they still say, like, oh, I went to a comprehensive. Do you know what I mean? If, it, if it's going to be like... It's the key authenticrat claim, isn't it? It's... Yeah. Um, be I, Manchester born and bred, and I have lived in London for the last twenty six years. Yeah, there could, there, there will, if 
unless they're ca- unless they're careful, there will be a lot of that mm. because there is a lot of them about. <laughs> of course, it would be nice to have a massive reduction of the sheer amount of um, public school toffs there are. Yeah, it was a weird one because that was but not that... just the BBC. Cause they're, they're all over the fucking place. You can't like go around London without throwing a rock to hit a newly formed production company. Yeah, by some fucking public school dickhead. I mean, that's the that's the kind of. Um spin-off of it isn't it because they they become independent business people using the contacts they've made in the bbc like there's no bbc presenter that like finishes up Hmm. and then goes on the dole that they don't go back to being working class they have already made the connections where they can maintain their class Hmm. like i don't obviously this was the thing that kind of uh rattled loads of um like journalists reacting to this yeah and so we had another round of fucking poverty roulette mm-hmm. of every every did you know every single newspaper journalist uh, mm-hmm. grew up in a council house with a single mother yeah did you know that they all did um, they except all, for Owen Jones yeah because <laughs> <laughs> they always say that Owen Jones is some kind of aristocrat yeah even though he's, really, he's not is he he's not like I don't think he came from like really poor upbringing but he's like not uh, excuse me, is this a nuanced appreciation <laughs> of people's backgrounds? And very good point by um, uh, Trevor Bastard on, on Twitter the other day. Yeah. It's like, you know how many people who are sitting in like tiny subdivided terraced house flats who would fucking love a council house right about now? Yeah. Who would love a council flat? You could always tell them when you're house hunting. Like, I went to see some in Birmingham. And yeah, it was on the 10th floor, but it was enormous. Mm. Like, it was massive. Mm. Comparatively, like I don't think it's such an indicator no. of your class. But then in Britain, it's always done via kind of consumption and your your kind of habits rather than your kind yeah. of process in and how feeling. in how the society produces things and feeling. I've seen presenters on I've listened to presenters on LBC over the course of a week argue positions argue positions from being. Um, upper class, middle class and working class depending on who they're arguing with um, because it seems that the only real definition of class in this country is that stupid two Ronnie sketch <laughs> and it's infuriating mm. and it's like oh if only someone had written something on it <laughs> if only any of these people had read it they have but they just pretend that they haven't so they can say well actually I've eaten a Bakewell tart therefore I'm not going to be kicked out by Corbyn's Gestapo Corbyn's posh boy socialist Gestapo. Yeah, and they always bring up Seamus Milne. And Seamus Milne is a posh boy Stalinist. Yeah. As most of them are. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it's so dumb. It's, um, it's a good idea. You should, you should open these things up because, you know, you work in the media. You've, you occasionally send to our group chat names of people in the media yeah it's this in, week's it's, name it's in it's in no way like a comprehensive like critique of class it's just very funny names obviously i'm not gonna say them no no but no um yeah there are just really fun. The, the, the thing about the social class thing is like they do already take some data hmm. on kind of the social backgrounds to ensure ensure diversity hmm. and they are like horrific hmm. um like uh, was it public schools are about seven percent, six seven percent of the populace at large, whereas the uh, network news uh, divisions, twenty four percent of their staff are went to independent or fee paying schools. Yeah. So like it's not like it's not a problem. It's just how 
how do you measure it? I can imagine if Corbyn's not going to do it personally, <laughs> which is a weird way of saying it. Yeah. If if it's not going to be done with a kind of eye to how class works now, I can kind of see them resorting to the old A B C D A, mm. a B C C one C two D yeah. E. Yeah. Thing. Also, there's um because it was around the same time because he did this in Scotland, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, because it because there's the big TV thing in Edinburgh. Mm. Um, and at the McTaggart lecture this year, it was the woman who wrote Bubblegum. Yes, you told me that. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Um, and she had a really good point about how what happens with TV people is they hire you to write a series to tick their diversity boxes. Yeah. But she'd done a show at Edinburgh that had done very well, and then they gave her a, sh- a show. But then they just left her there. They just thrown her in at the deep end. And she didn't have any experience of it because one of the problems is there's problems of access all of, uh, in every stage. Yeah. So you can't just give them a TV series. So you don't go from like a script writer to a showrunner mm. um, because there's another barrier at that point that says you're not right for this role. Yeah. And they do it. I mean, obviously all of this happens on an individual basis, mm. but it builds up mm. so that suddenly you just have Oxbridge, Oxbridge graduates are doing producing and showrunning yeah. and things like that. But um, so what happened with her? Is like, so she did bubblegum, but then she was constantly getting criticised for not being able to cope because she'd never done it before. She said she wanted to be, she would prefer to have been paired up with someone to yeah. to help her. And that's the thing you need to, you can't just say we're being diverse now. Yeah, you have to actually help and work because the way that this culture has been works is people have been marginalised for so long yeah. and are still marginalised and will all and will be for the foreseeable future as long as we have fucking Tories around doing this shit. Um, that you need to help at every level. It's like with the... Weirdly, I was thinking about with um, the Michael Gove changes to maths. Yeah. What they did is they changed what you had to achieve in year 10 and 11. Mm-hmm. Didn't change how much you learnt from year 7 to 9, though. Yeah. So suddenly you had to do it all at that moment. Because, because of course, saw, that was so much harder. Yeah, because they saw one thing. Yeah. And... And decided it to fixes change it, it like and, and then they thought it fixes, fixes it on paper. I mean, there's a whole thing of like the neoliberal idea of diversity is that uh, you should have cutthroat competition, but allow everybody access to that cutthroat competition. Yeah, and without take it like n- nobody kind of suggests that maybe the cutthroat competition is is the problem. Yeah, that kind of like a a plan and a cooperation rather than a bidding war Hmm. is a better way of running most things, Hmm. especially TV where, I mean, most of their, I'm guessing most of their like BBC series is are not like that successful or don't do what they want to. Would you say, I mean, you've got more knowledge about TV than I do. So, um, I think like they don't do the numbers, the numbers, it's weird because, um, the BBC is doing all right with some of its big dramas. The bodyguard's doing all right now. Yeah, um, but even then, like, um, bodyguards doing all right. That's a good a, a good thing of like how there's a list mm-hmm. of like maybe five writers who get to write stuff at that time of day. Yeah, um, the big stuff. Yeah, Jed mercurio has been on that list for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they wrote Bodyguard. Um, yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, and he's a very good writer. He did mm-hmm. um, like the one. He still hasn't done anything as good as his one years ago, which I loved. Um, bodies. Mm. Who's bodies? Um, it was about it was about a, um, a maternity ward, yeah. and it was one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen. <laughs> there were so many prosthetic vaginas. 
<laughs> this is like, but it was like proper British grim. Every birth, something went wrong, and one of them would die. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You didn't tell me they were bringing HBO production values <laughs> here. It looked amazing actually, um, but it was horrible. Um, but you know, this they do they do all right. They could do better because the BBC doesn't really know who it's aiming at because everyone who yeah. who commissions stuff is really old. Well, I mean, that's the other kind of thing that he suggested in the speech was that this uh, like tax on mm. tech giants mm. um, would be able to they'd be able to make a change in the way that the BBC's run. Not only would you be able to elect people to the board, mm. but you would also be able to spin it off from direct government control. So you wouldn't have to have the BBC trust yeah. like uh, answerable to the culture secretary or, yeah. or whoever whoever it is. They would be able to spin it off, and it would be state owned. Mm. But it would have a direct funding pipeline. Hmm. But then that kind of makes me think, like the stories you've told me about the BBC, um, like the way they operate, does that just entrench those behaviours within, giving them more... Like, it seems like as an institution, especially on news, they've just slipped so far down the kind of path of not really knowing what they're there for, Hmm. That those skills aren't coming back, and giving them an independent funding pipeline would just. Do you think that would exacerbate those, those tendencies? They would become more kind of, incesty, yeah. or would they? Would they actually have the freedom then to, maybe not be so kind to the government? Maybe not be so. I think they would still. Well, the thing is with the news output in the BBC in their politics department. Um, of course, they will always be like they are to the government because they're all Tories. Yeah. And like that isn't an out there like despite what a lot of fucking journalists say, like mm. people are changing their brain, like how dare you insinuate that these journalists aren't impartial? It's like but but most of them were members of the Conservative Party. <laughs> it's not that hard. Like Yeah. They went from the Conservative Party to the BBC and in some cases from the BBC back to the Conservative Party. Yeah. So I don't think they're gonna change in the slightest. Mm. Um with it's the one that confuses. It's that's hard. Is I've I genuinely have no idea how you can fix creative output of the BBC <laughs> because it's it's such a mess. It's, it's in, constant, in that it's necessarily well, like a messy kind of. You can't you can't dictate what what people are making, and you can't dictate the kind of thing that people are, well, are making. But well, you can dictate the kind of things that are commissioned. Well, that's the thing they can. They always commission the same kind of programs, and they're always, mm. and this is the same with all TV everywhere. Mm. Um, that they're always kind of running after the last thing that did well and trying mm. to copy it, like Amazon doing this fucking Lord of the Rings thing, mm-hmm. which still makes me so angry. It's going to make me so angry when I watch all of it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a genuine, like especially as there's been more money involved in TV, mm. there's a, a proper fear of risk, mm-hmm. and. I don't know how you can fix that apart from. I mean, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same in film. Yeah. You just you commission something with a two on the end. You, yeah. You you buy up intellectual properties that people you know people already like, oh, rather the, than take a risk on um, the amount of things that that Holly has been offered and, and and has done work on and is working on, um, where it'll be like a book adaptation of a not very good book. Yeah. Yeah, but people have read that. But it's not very good books. But it's in the it's also in the right region. So if something else is like you'd see the the young adult kind of explosion Mm. where you got from Harry Potter to I think the last one they tried to do was like Mortal Instruments, Mm -hmm. which flopped. Mm. And you can see them kind of they're just chasing that tail and beating it to death. Yeah, you know. 
Yeah, it's it's a weird one. It's like they need the only way to fix a lot of like that kind of stuff with the BBC, mm. virtually all of them. The BBC, you think BBC is a good one to focus on because it's the one that you can. Yeah, and then hopefully others will copy because hopefully it will succeed. Mm. Um, you need to encourage people at school that yeah. it's a thing that's possible. Like, um, there's a writer um, that Holly taught at NFTS and has, and now Holly has given Holly worked on Holly's last series. Yeah, um, and she did a degree in neuroscience. Mm-hmm. But while she was doing that, she got into writing, like as a student. Um, but she did that even though she wanted to be a writer because she just didn't think that she could be a writer. You need a backup. Yeah. Or um, plan A, but you also like to have a plan B. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there should be more encouragement that you know you can go into the arts. It shouldn't be so kind of formidable first off. Mm. And the only, and it shouldn't be that the people who are encouraged to go into the arts are at fancy schools mm. because they do do that at fancy schools. They always encourage you to do that kind of stuff because they're. They've got a friend there. They've got you know. Also, that's how that's kind of how that neoliberal like we talked about it. I think a little mm. bit in the education uh, thing, you get trained specifically for the segment of society you're going to go into. Mm. Now, rich, rich people and people of uh, more privileged backgrounds have a greater choice, so that they can go to the specific school mm. that will train them to do the thing that they want to do. But in a large sense, you're kind of pigeonholed in from when you're very young based on your class you're pigeonholed into a particular thing and given a larger or smaller purview of things that you can Hmm. possibly do and like when you're kind of from a less privileged background you aren't even given the full training to do the thing that you could that even the like the purview of stuff that you have you're not even given the full training to go into that you're kind of given general job training Hmm. and then expected to go out there and secure it for yourself Hmm. And that, like, if you're talking about, like, arts training, which, you know, obviously in this country is not kind of considered as high a priority, mm. even though it makes a shitload of money, even though, like, it's... It's one of those profitable bits of the yeah. British economy. Yeah. Um, you're not, you're just not taken through the whole thing as mm. if it's an, an obstacle course, as if mm. it's a, something to be endured. Mm. Yeah. That, that is something it has in common with most other forms of work. Mm. Mm. The other thing that uh, Corbyn uh, talked about was uh, journalism, mm-hmm. uh, as well as media output. Um, he advocated introducing charitable status for not-for-profit journalistic outfits, giving tax breaks to organisations, and he recommended an independent fund to subsidise public service journalism, again, paid for by this, uh, this tax on tech companies. Mm. Um, people's... Like, it's impossible to gauge any reaction anymore to stuff that Corbyn says because that's a fairly mild technocratic reform. It's like tax a thing and spend it on something that's good for society and good yeah. for people in general. And, and let some people get away with not paying taxes. <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, we'll get into the nitty-gritty in a second. Yeah, but, but you like, know what I mean? Like, it's not really yeah, like a I hard-line know, communist thing no, to do. No, not it's at not all. Even, it's not that revolutionary it's a tink- to it's say... It's a tinkering. Yeah, here's a thing that is struggling, so we're going to give them a break on their taxes. Also, we're going to set up a fund to help the ones that are really struggling, taking money from the big things that are really fucking all these other things over. Mm. Um... Taking money from the panty fund on, off the mail online. But it's impossible. To it's a, funnel into, I don't know, the Walthamstow Guardian. That's the only I, local paper I can find. <laughs> yeah. Kent Messenger. Yeah. Uh, Kent Messenger, I think, has been folded into... A Medway Messenger? It was Medway Messenger got folded into Kent Online or Kent... 
today. I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, that is part of the problem. <laughs> um, but it's impossible to gauge it because, ironically, the thing that this would save would be the pipeline that journalism provides from event to information hmm. to tell you what actually went on. Um, maybe some analysis hmm. in there for a, like a kind of as opposed to just explaining exactly what happened to give you some kind of context and things like that. It's impossible to get that with uh, things like Jennifer Williams in The Spectator saying, Jeremy Corbyn says he likes my journalism, so why does he want to muzzle the press? <laughs> uh, Joe Green, Labour Party's former head of press and broadcasting. Is that Jolion Green, the one who was um, bullied into not calling himself Jolion Green? It is. Interestingly not. I had oh, forgotten is it. another one? I had forgotten this. Joe Green, yeah. uh, she was um, oh, formerly uh, Labour's head of press, is now married to Hugh Laurie. Oh. Um, she said, I find elements of these media reforms rather sinister, and I don't believe for a second they are motivated by a belief that a future government should be held to greater journalistic scrutiny. <laughs> Considering that New Labour, which, you know, she worked for, was specifically known yeah. for its ability to avoid the journalistic scrutiny that she talks about. That's, that was about- New Labour's, like, shining achievement according to... The media themselves. Complaining about the government not being held to account by the, the fourth estate. Mm. When George Osborne, the editor of the Standard. <laughs> Guido, uh, that was... That, I, I actually got that uh, quote from uh, the Guido Fawkes. Um, what did Guido say? He said... <clears throat> we must secure a future for him. <laughs> he's, he's better than that. <laughs> Um, Corbyn wants to set up a state-backed British digital corporation to rival Netflix. In addition to BBC iPlayer, he wants it to work in the interests of the many and not the few. And he wants to democratise, in scare quotes, the BBC with an elected board. We all know what this means. Invariably left-wing activist cranks would get editorial control of the BBC and Laura Koonsberg would be burnt at the stake. I find it very interesting that he thinks, left to its natural devices, Mm. left to a democratic system, of course the left would get in. Yeah. I think that reveals something about Mr. Staines. It does. It really does. Late career, like, commie turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in fairness, democratic socialist turn. Yeah. Let's be accurate about it. Uh, he continues, Even in Western European countries like France, where the government subsidises some of the media in the interests of diversity or plurality, the subsidised media become captured, tame creatures, unwilling to bite the hand that finances them. The only guarantee of an independent media is financial independence. Profitable news outlets are fearless because they know they don't have to bend the knee to survive. It's, it's why Guido Fawkes has always been able to say what he wants because he already made all his money selling party drugs. <laughs> Just the, Have you not, like, read a paper? <laughs> have you not like, read the stories about Murdoch's spiking stories? The, the Barclays uh, with the Telegraph. If you're going to talk about the British press being like... If you're going to talk about any kind of press in the world, like being these... Hard bitten journalistic monsters who are holding power yeah. to account. Roving the British rogues. press is the worst example of it. It's terrible. For example, <laughs> Boris Johnson went back to his job <laughs> in, the, in the papers just because he could. Yeah. And it's like, huh, can I have my job back? Okay, what are you going to do? I'm going to be racist. All right then. <laughs> I'm going to be racist and push the government even further to the right. Awesome, that's what we want. As the fourth estate, our goal is to always push the government to the right. It's just baffling. Like, profitable papers, (laughs) Mm -hmm. papers that make a lot of money, 
The new European, apparently. <laughs> don't bend the knee. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't, don't bend the knee. I like that it's like, there's no... Um, bending the knee in this mm. situation would be uh, reports, like, spinning the, let's say the government, the ones with political power, spinning it in a way as to not defend them. Yeah. Papers that make a lot of money, therefore, are able to not spin. Papers in this country make money by spinning Mm. that thing. Also, there isn't a profitable paper in this country. Uh, There are a couple. Um, The Independent. Really? Well, because they're not individual um, entities anymore, which comes on to the second problem of, like, uh, the whole thing of subsidising, like, local journalism, investigative journalism. It's really hard to find a good local paper in this country. Those papers are owned by like large paper companies, mm. um, who own also own most of the mm. like uh, larger papers. Trinity Mirror owns a load. There's a company called Reach, I think, that owns a, another load of like uh, companies local papers. with uh, local TV channels in America. Uh, yeah, exactly the same thing. And it's impossible to tell whether they're profitable because like they pump a load of money into them, and most local newspapers are just ad sheets. Mm-hmm. Like if you tr- like. I'm sure there are a few good local papers. I hear like the Argus in Brighton is quite good and Manchester mm. Even News is like all right. Mm. But the amount of advertising space that they have to kind of devote. Yeah. Like the idea, like the the standard local paper is like three lines telling you about how gypsies have moved back into a park. <laughs> With the bottom being car found set on fire. Um, and then the entire rest of the A3 sheet is just adverts. Hmm. Like, th- there's nothing going on there. There's no. no there's no service being done. You're just a thing that exists because it exists. Mm. You yeah. know? And, like, a lot of their reaction... I said a couple of weeks ago that I was trying to work out what reification meant. Yeah. Yeah? I couldn't fully get my head around it. I've started to try and get my head around it. And I think this might be a case of it, right? Because... Okay. So... It's the process by which social relations are perceived as inherent attributes of the... Yeah, I'm just reading the Wikipedia thing. Mm-hmm. Are perceived as inherent attributes of the people involved in them or their attributes of some product of the relation, like a commodity, mm-hmm. right? So um, objects are transformed into subjects and subjects are transformed into objects. Um, these abstract notions of, like, we exchange money, therefore we're good... Mm is entirely appropriate when you're talking about journalism. That's that seems to be the only like standard of it. The amount the amount of journalism has exploded. Mm. And most of that has exploded into the comment pieces that make you want to set your head on fire mm. every day. Um not like you can argue about like nuanced comment and getting more left like left wing opinion in papers. But most of the most of the actual stuff is 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 not designed for that it's designed to make a profit like most of the sun is not about politics no it's about kind of stories to get you enraged stories to get you horny it's feeding right into like a desire economy mm. so like the idea that th- it's interesting that nobody like in the broadsheets they mention kind of the good work that journalism does but the reality of Such most journalism, needed. yeah, the reality of most journalism is that there is no work to be done. And as Paul, Paul Staines is, to a certain extent, right in that the true success 
of a newspaper or even a website is how much money it draws in. Yeah. Whether it's profitable. Hmm. You know? Um, I just don't... Where do they get off? Because I happen to think journalism as a funnel for getting information from event to viewer is a necessary thing. Here we go. Because <laughs> you disagree you can't call that, that, right? That's the being told about the news, they can't... <laughs> this, this all stemmed off a couple of times when we've had a very large argument because I am probably softer on the need for journalism <laughs> than you are. I, You've I, been driven insane. I think Like Colonel is... Kurtz. <laughs> I think there is a need for journalism. Snail travelling across the edge of a folded Guardian broadsheet. <laughs> I think there is a need for journalism. I think yeah. there is a need for genuine investigative journalism mm. I think there's a need for um, covering in detail and explaining things that most people don't get to see for example the Hackney development the Haringey development vehicle yeah that was very good the thing with the garden bridge that was very good mm. um, that isn't what 99% of journalism is <laughs> and I'm not going to give them a tax break so they can <laughs> Make more money off having adverts for Greg's on Wales Online, yeah. Because um, that's what most of it is. Answer, answer a quick uh, two-minute survey in order to view this news story. That's my fucking favourite one. Mm. You know, you go onto a website and it's not just a pop-up ad; it's a pop-up survey. It's like fuck off, mm. fuck off. Um, I can't like those two stories. Are just, those are literally the only two big stories in papers that I can think of as being really useful and they're not enough to and one of them wasn't in a paper one of them was in a magazine was it yeah. um, architecture magazine yeah um so like and i think Aditya Chakraborty was doing stuff on like a blog before they allowed uh, him to have it yeah, in the, yeah, the guardian column yeah yeah like these people don't do it. they don't do it they, yeah. that is the whole point of journalism is it's just a nice club the to, people who shout loudest are the ones who are the worst at it oh yeah yeah who are the the Worst kind of like it's all opinion Dan Hodges. Columns. God it's knows, all opinion columnists, and they're all God knows horrible. we must we must go in like we've gone into him like so mm. much over the past like however many like sixty six episodes, mm. but he's a perfect exemplar. Like what does what does he do? He gets things wrong. What does he do? Willfully misrepresent. But like, what does he think he's doing? Making money. Like when he gives an opinion, it's like exactly the same thing as I've read. Nick Cohen has been doing it for years. Mm. He's just done it again today. Mm. Talked about how ah oh, the you the, the like the sissy left or something, not standing up to Corbyn. Oh, oh. We're now like the pussified left or something. It really? was something similar to that. He's, oh god! It was like um, it was when he had a go at real politic, didn't he? Mm. About um, like calling them weedy, mm. like. So much hate in such weedy bodies, I believe. Since he quote. quit, since he quit drinking and started doing long distance running, he seems to be utterly convinced he's some kind of madly macho man. He's going to live forever. Oh god, <clears throat> he's so ripped. He's, he looks like he's going to die. <laughs> um, you could bounce a glass of red wine off those abs. Not <laughs> <laughs> saying anything, um, <laughs> but um, that's the thing is. It's like you get to the point where you start to think about what a journalism of the future is going to look like because yeah. it's clearly not going to be a daily newspaper. No, no. I was doing that. some research for this, yes. and like, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of like academic stuff about mm. the decline of day, the daily newspaper and things like that. 
and there's a lot of most of the kind of like news articles are like oh i hear you've been talking about the decline of newspapers actually it's the opposite they're stronger than ever yeah. and it's like oh maybe but these things that we find useful the things that there shouldn't be that extraneous element in newspapers mm. there shouldn't have to be something that you just put up with in order to get to the the good investigative stuff that actually informs you mm. and if there is going to be kind of opinion stuff why is it so craven if there's such a if there's such a need for like people to stand up to the government why is everything so craven and cowardly and why do they have you know like picking on people there was there was a story um that was uh, going around on Twitter uh, the other day about um, there was a lady interviewed outside um, the Jeremy Corbyn uh, Jeremy Corbyn speech on education, okay. um, and she was waiting in a queue and she got uh, caught by some like Sky News reporter and he asked her questions and uh, um, she mistakenly said that Jeremy Corbyn had won the Nobel Peace Prize and literally had a te- double take and said, oh, no, no, sorry, I didn't mean the Nobel Peace Prize. I meant, like, some kind of peace prize. She yeah. didn't know. Um, and the story's pretty harrowing of this lady going home and seeing herself plastered on the news. Uh, he, she had mentioned to the reporter saying, I didn't mean the Nobel Peace Prize, mm. I meant something else. Can you not air that? And the reporter kind of said, yeah, yeah, okay. And naturally, of course, it was plastered on with the narrative being, look at the cult of Corbyn, they're like mm. Trump supporters... It's like those like like twenty stupidest Americans videos yeah. that were around like yeah. when Trump was going in, um, and like you know she was panicking, panicking, freaking mm. out about this. Uh, phoned up Sky. Oh, they said made to look like an idiot on TV. Yeah, said like oh you know uh, we see we see it was an honest mistake. Uh, we won't show it again. Um, they did, and it also appeared on the last leg. That Channel 4 show. So not only had they shown it, but they'd also shopped it to another channel. Because I believe at this point it wasn't readily available. Mm. It had been on broadcast, but I don't think it was readily Mm. available. And just the description of of the way that they approached it was... um, The the person's partner um, said, uh, I I think seeing my fun-loving, beautiful and caring wife reduced to this fragile, broken shell of a woman hardened me. I had a moment of clarity where there was no financial... Financially, or there was no way financially or emotionally we could legally challenge Sky over what they had done. We were the little people. If they were willing to edit and broadcast her without her permission, what chance would we have against their lawyers? Hmm. Which is ultimately the kind of there has like it is a horrible nightmare unless it's there for some purpose, and their purpose is gone. They're just a shell moving forward. They are irredeemable (laughs) no that whole thing is I don't I've like it seems a bit hackneyed to say like oh I don't trust the mainstream media yeah but I I generally don't trust any of them because Mm. I've seen so many of them argue in bad faith and lie or at very least misrepresent Mm. and there was um sort of was um thingy Piers Morgan was arguing about the burqa about banning the burqa on um Good morning, Britain. This morning, this with, morning, yeah, with um, bloody hell. he's up with the news cycle, isn't he? Yeah, it's because he's been on holiday. Mm. Um, with Boris Johnson's sister in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, Boris Johnson's sister was, you know, saying like, 
Oh, Penny Johnson. She just got um, sacked, I think. Penny Johnson. <laughs> I think she got sacked from the Telegraph or the Times, wherever she was. was. I think it was. Anyway. Um, but it's... Even when they're like... It even got to the point of... Even when Piers Morgan was arguing against the notion of a ban on the burqa, hmm. he was arguing it in the sense of misrepresenting feminism <laughs> to such an extent that he was almost yeah. using it as a dig. I hate all of them. They're I know all fuck all about feminism, but I saw a BuzzFeed mm. line that feminism was considered quite important now. Mm. And so this is a and way that I can get about in. what you wear. You yeah. were saying that a lot. And oh, I just hate all of them. And, it, and then, you know, it, when it comes down to it, what's the, what's the last big bout of investigative journalism and they all got in trouble for was fucking hacking phones because that's all they could do. <laughs> I think, I, uh, yeah. There's so few of them that are willing to do the boring shit. And also, sitting like. Sitting around in meetings. It's like, um, a good example. There's like, it was on Desolation Radio. They interviewed the woman from Golu, I think it is. Hmm. It's like the Welsh paper. Yeah. And at the Welsh Assembly, there's a room for the journalists. Yeah. To sit around to report on what's going on in the Welsh Assembly. Hmm. Um, she's the only one who's there. Yeah. And that says they're all, they're like, they've reduced their lobby reporting even in Westminster. Yeah, like a lot. And because what's the point? They'll just repeat what's been the like, BBC the press B- release and the BBC are cutting a load of the BBC Parliament um, stuff. Hmm. It might be boring, but it's there for you a reason. Need to cover it. It's there for a reason. It needs to be exposed. Yeah. Otherwise, it just does go. I mean, it's already behind closed doors. So much of it that even the little bit that you're supposed to be able to get. And I think like a lot of the time when we we kind of talk about like oh well you know what investigative reporting has ever achieved that's the thing as well i don't think um, it does achieve much and I, we've had this argument before and it's like i you get you know obviously like the paradise papers for instance hmm. um that was covered in like quite a lot read like quite a lot of detail hmm. not as much detail as you could have gotten by actually reading it hmm. but then of course division of labor people don't have the time to do hmm. that so you do need to trust someone to be able to press it for you hmm. Um, and I, but I think like that kind of criticism, that's you're you're criticizing power there, mm. not necessarily the coverage of power. The difficulty is that, as you say, people pass in between because party political parties, and therefore like politics in general, has become so enmeshed, mm. not only with journalism but with entertainment. Mm. I mean, Piers Morgan, perfect example. Mm. You know, he was a newspaper editor a newspaper journalist mm. of some kind, I guess. Mm. And he's gone straight into entertainment because he was just so funny. Because he was just so talented. He could just spin a line like no one else. And it's... I find... I think I find... You get it so rarely in the world. Like, Dan Hodges tries, but he doesn't have Piers Morgan's skill of being... And it's, wrestling's a good... Piers Morgan is pure heel. Yes. He's the Miz. He's yeah. so good at it. He's just so vile. He is pushing slightly too close into just go away heat. Yeah, because he doesn't know how to manage it properly. No. Xbox heat. Xbox heat. Yeah, but Dad Hodges tries, but it just, just doesn't come, doesn't work as well. I just don't think it, he'll never get his TV show. <laughs> but they like they. So do you think like Twitter and like blog for a while blogging when blogging was the big thing mm. was going to be the replacement? You know, citizen journalism. But I still feel like I think it it's, just it's, as much. But it's whether you <laughs> it's whether you view it as like journalism as a specific set of skills. Like I'm talking about information retrieval mm. and portrayal. Mm. Yeah. Whether that is a, such a specific set of skills that you need to devote your entire career to it, mm. 
or whether it's something that can be done um, on the thing. Because if you look at Twitter, like, oh yeah, a lot of it's like just noise. Mm. But there's some really, really good picking through of things. And quite a lot of the time, it's like a, a collaborative thing. Mm. There's a lot of people looking at a thing mm. and picking it apart. And to be honest, in I most, really like most stories. You don't. You're not going to be able to pick apart every single part of a story on your yeah. own because you at best might be very well read on one or two subjects. Yeah. Whereas because of Twitter and it being more collaborative, you can properly like tear through a thing. You get like a historian and a sociologist and a like biologist or whatever to pick apart hmm. those things. But I still feel like even even though obviously ninety percent of our show is going on about commentators and opinion writers, I still feel like the ability to to bring those things together and synthesize them mm. is kind of something you would need in a world where people just can't don't have the time to do that on their own even if they did have the the desire to do it i think so many things have to change yeah because i don't like speaking truth to power it's a good thing but it achieves nothing power already knows the yeah, truth it knows exactly quote, what it's Churchill. Doing. yeah it knows exactly what it's doing it doesn't care and it will just say that you're you're lying or you're a crank <laughs> and then it was like it will just carry on, or it'll just ignore because it'll know that you're not going to get enough like exposure, mm. and they already have done so much good groundwork on convincing people that <clears throat> that fracking's fine. Mm. So it doesn't matter that they're going to just frack the shit out of South Wales. Mm. Um, that no one will care. Yeah. Like if you even notice the story, you're like, oh, but fracking's fine. Yeah, I heard that fracking. Or fine. at least that it's earthquake been, in Blackpool wasn't a thing. At least it's been muddied enough in your mind to say well, I'm not sure whether fracking's good or bad, and then you get on with your day. Mm. And nothing happens. Mm. Uh, our next topic is Labour resignations. Frank Fields has uh, withdrawn from the Labour whip. Um, he uh, has resigned and he's lost a... Um, a confident, uh, he got a vote of no confidence in his local party after he sided with the government on Brexit. No, he didn't. He, he did. No, he didn't. He took a principled oh. stand against <clears throat> anti-Semitism. Oh yeah, sorry. No, he I forgot. Stand yeah, he did. Racists and bigots. Yep. Um, he can't bear what's happened to his Labour Party that will no longer countenance his plans to build concentration camps under motorways. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's quite the sight seeing <laughs> all of the pro-Europe people defending probably the most Brexit-y Labour MP other than Kate Huey. <laughs> Um, he's I don't definitely think he... the most right wing Labour MP. Um, he's like, and not even like right wing in a kind of neoliberal sense. Like, I mean, right wing as in classically, he should be in the Conservative Party. A blood and fire conser- like authoritarian, working class authoritarian conservative. Yeah. Um, when I was looking <laughs> looking up kind of uh, things for him, he actually featured in the top one hundred right wingers <laughs> poll. <laughs> Um, put together by Ian Dale um, in The Telegraph in 2008. Fantastic. He was number 100, but he shouldn't have been. Yeah, he he? shouldn't be placing on that list. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's been been portrayed as like, oh, he resigned because he just couldn't stand all the racism because they were taking all the good racism. (laughs) You know, anyone can have a go at Pakistanis and Muslims, Mm. but it takes a real racist to have a go at Jewish people. Yeah. God damn it. Uh, Tom Watson said, This is a serious loss to the party, and I deeply regret Frank's decision. It reflects both the deep divisions in the party and the sense of drift engulfing us. 
It is a major wake-up call. We cannot afford to lose people of such weight and stature. The thing is, I don't think you understand. The Labour Party is a broad church and should include socialists and nationalists. (laughs) (laughs) Douglas Murray in uh, Unheard likened him to John McCain. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because he he reached across the aisle. Do you know the big difference between him and John McCain? What? John McCain's dead. (laughs) Um, Both just as bad at war. Because, <laughs> you know, John McCain, not, John McCain tried more. <laughs> Failed a lot more. Yeah, he just shit at it. But, you know, you know, you never succeed unless you try, try again, mm. you know? And he tried five times to yeah. land that plane. <laughs> um, yeah, Frank, like, the intellectual heart of what? Um, the intellectual heart of being a la- the only Labour MP who fucking voluntarily <laughs> advised the Cameron government. He was the poverty czar for the yeah. Cameron government. The t- Tory government. Yeah, that's really reflecting a divide. Yeah. The divide being not in your fucking party. Well, he's just a he's a, just a rational, sensible man. Like, I love bipartisanship. Um, you know, non-partisan. Just working with the villains. <laughs> I, I just think that there's a sensible... Uh, there's, a, there's place for a sensible debate on whether national service should be to punish criminals... Or to instil pride in our young people. <laughs> I, I don't like the thing. I love people who are super international service. It's like, do you really? Would you prefer me now if if I knew how to shoot? <laughs> if I'd learnt how to make bombs, would you prefer all of the? There Cor- would have been shoddily made ones because I would have been taught by the British government. But still, <laughs> all of the Corbyn people who you keep calling a cult. How much better would you feel if you know they'd all been driven insane by PTSD? <laughs> yeah, if they could all march in step <laughs> <laughs> and, and knew how to like put on a military uniform. Nothing has nothing bad has ever happened from having a mass army that, that that's then decamped uh, from foreign wars. You know, <laughs> with <laughs> that then released onto the streets. Nothing, Nothing bad happened. happened in Germany. No, nope. <laughs> ever. Yeah, it's, oh, I, I hate national service people. They're so. They think it's a magic bullet. They, they do. think, ah, finally some state. Because in- he was not for state intervention in any other aspect of mm. life. He spent. Um, he like joined. He was a conservative at um, college, I think, or at school. Mm. Um, and he became an MP in '79, and he was like on all of these like low pay commissions. Yeah, he was in charge of like. Um, making like negotiating with the unions to make sure that pay stayed in line with everything when pay was still kind of negotiated mm. between the unions and government. He was on all those, but he was um, he went into Blair's government as like a, I think it was a welfare mm. like welfare secretary. Yeah, he was um, Blair's first social security minister, charged with thinking the unthinkable. Blair later said in his autobiography, "The problem was not so much that his thoughts were unthinkable as they were unfathomable." <laughs> Things like stripping benefits from all men. Um, Why? So he advocated stripping young men of all social security uh, support if they refused jobs, believing it would build character. Because they said they were refusing jobs where they didn't earn, um, where they would earn less than £300 a week, which was about as much as they could get on the old doll. Yeah. like he's his idea of um, banishing like neighbours from hell, like antisocial yeah. behaviour orders for entire families, and putting them in shipping containers Absolutely. under motorways. Yep, yeah, that's the one that always sticks in my head as like quite a delightful idea. We, it's like a specific kind of old man. Normally, it's like looking at some 
he'll be looking at some bloke in his twenties who's wearing a, a flowery shirt yep. with gelled hair, <laughs> and he looks at him and he goes, "Do you know what will sort that man out?" Oh, uh, live, uh, oh, like uh, RCP, <laughs> RCP guy, young man, gelled hair. <laughs> but it's like handing out papers. Do you know what will fix him? Shooting someone. Yeah. It's it's a it's a it's, it's a, Mo from the city. It's like killing a man. <laughs> killing a man tells you who you really are. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's man who never he's never done. It's, it's always the people who like he hasn't done anything. Yeah. He's, Although you know he's advocated for killing significant like huge amounts of people. <laughs> um, yeah, he was a Tory until he uh, refused to. Um, he condemned apartheid. They checked him out. It's quite the quite the high standard of. <laughs> Moral clarity that the Tory party had. Yeah, that was the thing, like, it was last week as well, wasn't it? Like, the um, Theresa May in Africa talking about um, Nelson Mandela. Like, but you loved apartheid. Yeah. It's like, well, no, I wouldn't say love. Like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, she didn't say that, and they didn't push it, and then now it's on something else. Yeah. Fucking journalists. But look at her dancing. But look at her dancing. Dancing is terrible. No, but it's it's like the dancing of someone who loves apartheid. It's the (laughs) it's the two pronged thing of like, yeah, I mean, her dancing is really funny, Mm. but also if you're just going to focus on that, if that's the whole like remit, your whole critical remit, Mm. could see why Jeremy Corbyn wants to abolish you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and of course, you know, Frank Fields, as a man who, uh, as an MP who advocated for the punishing of the working class, he actually said that Cameron's reforms to refor- plans to reform welfare were not radical enough as they did not punish the work shy. <laughs> um, you don't get that enough in, um, in Corbyn's Labour Party, the references to the work shy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, that's the losing their connection with its traditional roots. Yeah. <laughs> um, of being mill owners. <laughs> Yeah. Well, look, you can't just let the loss of a few fingers or a few hands, mm. you know, uh, stop what is a legitimate profit-seeking behaviour. <laughs> you just can't. See, in the ragged trouser philanthropist, I can't remember yeah. the name of the main character. Um, it's the one who's Owen. Always, yeah, the one who's always it's whinging. Owen. <laughs> the, one always, the one who's always whinging on about socialism and about how mm. he's dying of TB. Now, if Frank Fields had had his way, then maybe he would have fucked his ideas up and not had TB. <laughs> he wanted... Um, as you might expect from somebody who liked punishing the uh, the workshy white working class, later on he became a super champion of the white working class. Ah. So he said that... By white um, working class, do you he, mean Tommy Robinson? <laughs> he wanted them to take part in um, citizenship ceremonies that immigrants were forced to take part in. Mm-hmm. Because he, he felt that they were so disenfranchised and unsure of their identities that they needed like a reinforcement of their whiteness, <laughs> of their Britishness. Okay. So where would these rallies be taking place? <laughs> First, we need a field. <laughs> a lot of torches. A yeah. lot of torches. You need these things to be well lit. How are they going to read the cards? Yeah. <laughs> you need to read the cards if they're all going to be staring at a single point. <laughs> Making these pledges. A single very charismatic preacher. <laughs> Frank Fields. Up the top. <laughs> um... Yeah, I'm reading like a book. It's funny you say about the ragged trousers philanthropists because like I'm reading this book called um, Speak for Britain, which is like a history of the Labour Party hmm. from below. They, they don't. I'm not very far into it yet, but um, they're not going to go through like the personalities, like the big the big names of the Labour Party. But they're going to try and like like look at what was actually happening in constituency parties and things like that. Yeah. But the introduction to this book is all about how it's 
it's not surprising really that you get quite a lot of kind of authoritarian social imperialists coming through the Labour Party from working class roots. Mm-hmm. Just because you are from working class roots does not necessarily mean that you have a good progressive, like oh, non-reactionary politics. Mm-hmm. And the Labour Party has been very successful and very entrenched within the British system, which is a solid two-party system, mainly because it had people who were just willing to ingratiate themselves with the already existing like institutions and systems. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, there's a there's always a segment of the working class of people from working class backgrounds who come out with stuff like this and the mm. record trash of philanthropist is probably the best like fictional like explanation and representation of that kind of like melancholic masochistic um outlook on life you know like well of course we work so hard in these industrial mm. occupations uh, everybody should do mm. and well if you don't keep people in line if you don't be especially violent and brutal and cruel to people who step out of line, then you just have chaos. Mm. You know, like the cops of the working class, working class self-policing. Yeah. You know, and it just so happens that... Yeah, I've got family members like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it are they the ones who tend to do a little bit better than the rest of them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, my uncle who just died. Very much so. Yeah. Um, Just like... Somebody who takes a real perverse, almost like perverse pleasure in shitting mm. on other people and shitting on, like, the idea of, as a, like, who knows they're working class but kind of takes that, like, nascent class consciousness and is uninterested in wrestling power for your, your own class but is only interested in kind of reinforcing those those class boundaries between like the work shy and mm. the you know the solid good worker which was that was Frank Field's whole thing mm. um so you know he's the latest one who's gone mm. um following you know such luminaries such intellectual giants in the party i don't know how we can do without them uh, such as john woodcock mm-hmm. and you know tristram hunt Mm-hmm. He's popped out. Jamie Reed, that guy. Um, and if reports are to be believed, um, by reports I mean his own weird mind word salad. He's the first person who's ever seemed to have fused his own mind with Twitter. Mike Gapes. Oh, yeah, he's milkman. Yeah, he's. Mm. I'm not treading on real politics his toes no. by doing Mike Gapes impressions, but like it's so good. He he's a Weird one. He's an odd one. He, but again, he's super warry. Was he, yeah, they are. Yeah, no, but they, they are. But then there's the ones who, you know, the one like, and again, this tends. I don't. I don't know whether this is correct or not, but it tends to be the kind of more middle class Labour MPs who will go. Well, of course, they'll cloud it in all this intellectual. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Fits. It's real bad, isn't it? These social imperialist imperialist MPs. Um. He's like one of the guys who um, actually believes it, and it tends to be the middle class ones who kind of couch it in some kind of like apologetic rhetoric. It's like we've been forced to, you know, drone bomb Syria back to the Stone Age. Yeah. That kind of thing. Whereas Mike Gapes actually gets quite angry that you're not bombing it. Because again, it's it's that it's that cop mentality. Yeah. It's that if you don't impose some kind of violent order upon the world then everything is just chaos. He's Batman. Mike Gapes is Batman, basically, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Um, but he had like a really interesting... like 
all of the stuff about Frank Fields kind of he's he's resigned the whip, but he's not going to hold a by election because the well he shouldn't because he got he won the last election with a massive majority a massive majority that momentum got him no 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 it was all because of him and his promises to send most of his constituents to live under the prison (laughs) (laughs) to make them all live under the bridges like trolls (laughs) well no he know that's the interesting thing as well when they're from places like I, I I'm not entirely sure about Birkenhead I did know a girl from Birkenhead once and it seems like a bit more like it's just outside Liverpool and it's like slightly more rural slightly more middle class if I'm wrong about that if there's anybody listening from Birkenhead definitely set me straight because I'm not sure about that I just knew someone once (laughs) but um She's not, he's not talking whenever they talk like those yeah. terms they're not talking about their own constituents they're talking about the constituents in the constituency over the over yeah. the, the line yeah. over the constituency line you know um, but there, there's a whole like load of stuff about um, who MPs are responsible for who MPs are responsible to hmm. and kind of big arguments Jess Phillips said something about it like um, oh who who did um, who was ever like uh, parachuted in to a constituency in the way that like Frank Fields feels like he is beholden to his constituents directly and not mm. to his local party mm. right and this kicked off this whole furore like I say with Jess Phillips saying like oh who was ever um, parachuted in who was ever like um, kind of selected in it's like loads of people yeah loads and loads of people that is how it's generally understood to work mm. like I think Frank Fields is from Battersea yeah originally and Birkenhead's in near Liverpool. Hmm. I'm gonna fuck. I'm gonna look really funny. Well, it's not in Battersea. It's not in fucking Battersea, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that happens all the time. You have MPs for places where they're not from. But it it just th- just led me to this interesting like thinking about MPs gets institutionalised so quickly. Oh yeah, and they assume that they they get to this position where they just like, well, no, I just work for the government. Hmm. It's like something like when they get to West. It's it's the same kind of thing that um, when they get to Westminster, like the Gothic architecture and the grandeur of being in that London, mm. um, does some kind of thing to them where they suddenly, yeah, they like as you say, they think they're employees of the state. Mm. All of a sudden, they're responsible for ensuring good order. Yeah, even if that's not what their constituents want. Mm. Which you know, again, the link between electing a person who was proposed hmm. by the party like that's the that's the weird thing hmm. those people would not be there were they not proposed by their party yeah and then they get put up against someone from the other party hmm. that's how it works it's not a direct democracy you're not choosing anybody you could possibly get no. to to stand anybody can stand hmm. but let's face it they don't hmm. it costs 500 quid i do not have 500 quid to stand as an mp no most people don't no um so you need organisations that provide funding and things like that, and they choose one among their number to put up. But then when they get institutionalised, they, they take maybe like five years, and suddenly they're like, ah, oh, the mother of democracy. Hmm. This proud, ancient democracy with balances and checks and royals <laughs> and lords and things like that. They become so enamoured of it. You see it with um, the guy, uh, Stephen Pound, who... Um, when they were going to decommission Big Ben, we talked about this, mm. when they were going to decommission Big Ben, stood outside it with his head bowed. Yeah. That's reification. <laughs> right there. Yeah. That is something that should be a social process that's constantly evolving and people should be aware of, transformed into an object, an unchanging, uh, assumed, like, in and of itself, 
object. Mm. And that's what Parliament can become to those people. Mm. And that's why they say, well, of course, you can't sever me from my, my constituents. I have a mystical link with them. Yeah. I am the thought form. I am the tulpa <laughs> of all of their desires and needs sent forth to the magic grove of Westminster yeah. to enact their will. When is it? I, I know you have to use some euphemisms to kind of paper over the shabby state that British democracy is in, mm. but like that, the mystification of it fucking bugs the hell out of mm. me. Yeah, reselections need to happen. Reselections really need to happen. Otherwise, you end up with this kind of when they're not, when they can't be threatened mm. with their own constituents and with their own parties, with politics, mm. doing politics. I was reading um, Phil BC's blog uh, the other day, and mm. he's talking about like why the centrist parties are all failing and why the Labour MPs are... Splitting. Well, yeah, they're already doing. But why those Labour MPs who keep like sounding off to break away? Mike Gates hasn't actually done anything yet. Oh, no, yet. he's a coward. He's sounding it, but he's not going to do it. The reason is that I think deep inside, they do have a rational calculation where they know they don't know how to do politics anymore. Mm. And their retreat into the kind of mystification with of their relationship <laughs> to power to the state and to people generally mm. to the democratic process is so mystified that they know they can't fight politics mm. they can't do politics because they haven't been expected to be politicians they've been expected to be managers yeah. who occasionally come up there fucking Stephen Kinnock mm. came up with that book the other day the mm. 15,000th book that has been written on Britain as a divided nation Disraeli wrote um, One Nation in mm. 1850, blah, 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 mm. that posited exactly the same thing. He was a One Nation conservative who um, posited that the divide between rich and poor under kind of advancing industrial capitalism led to a divided nation, which meant a less whole nation and a kind of more difficult place for Tories to rule, basically, mm. was his angle. Um, he was very honest about it. Was he complaining about being bullied on ye olde Twitter? Um, actually, there were a lot of rumours about Disraeli because he was a converted um, oh, yeah. Jew, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, but that was, you know... But, you yeah. know that kind of thing? He was always portrayed as oh, like no, an Eastern, no, I know there's Eastern that, Sheik there's and that. things. Like, yeah. I know there was a lot of that. And like, um, what is like, I think it's my father-in-law's like... My father-in-law was convinced that he converted from Judaism just to get in with them, which... That might be the case. It might be the case, but it also sounds super anti-Semitic, coming, especially coming from a Jew. Um, I mean, it's because my father-in-law's Jewish, and he's like, "No, I think he did it." Uh, there is, a, there. I mean, there is a history of like um, Marx's dad yeah. um, was a rabbi who I believe converted to Lutheranism because you couldn't practice law mm. in Prussia mm. um, if you were Jewish, so he converted to Lutheranism and sent his sent Karl mm. off to off to university. Oh yeah, basically, Steve but, yeah, Gillis anyway, going to do a whole book about complaining um, about being bullied on Twitter, isn't he? It's just a... It, he's doing a... He's doing a... <laughs> a complaining a, about divided Britain, uh, and he's going to talk about the analogy of his house with his wife telling him off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we are living in like a divided house where your wife calls you an idiot every day for every single idea you come up with. You come back from work and you say, Hello, wifey, I am writing a book about divided Britain, and she says that's a stupid idea. What a horrible person. <laughs> My children keep hiding the salted popcorn. <laughs> they know I like the salted popcorn. Why do they hide it? Why Divided they, nation. Why do they hide all the ready salted crisps? <laughs> they know, yeah, they know I can't stand the cheese and onion too spicy. <laughs> but what I mean is that you look at it and it's like, 
yeah, of course you've gotten to this stage and you've been working on a book about how you've discovered this brand new social schism. You're an MP, you're not a sociologist, but somehow you've got to have some, like, fig leaf of theory mm. um, covering up your intellectual bankruptcy. Mm. Rather than face the truth, we'll publish 10,000, like, uh, epigraphs that only, like, Progress publish. Mm. Progress magazine publish. And... Because they deserve to publish this because they've got such insight because they channel the people's will through their own bodies like fucking uh, the Keymaster and the Gatekeeper in, in Ghostbusters. They're the yeah. only ones who can contact Goza. You know? Yeah. It's a, it's a lame kind of thing. Like, one of the things that's quite good about having a mass membership mm. is that um, people aren't... I, I think that a lot of the Labour Party rank and file now aren't quite as blinded by having stars in mm. their midst. Yeah. There's still some of that, I think, with certain people. Mm. Um, but with a membership of 500,000 and 600 MPs in the whole Houses of Parliament, not they realise that not many of them are going to get to be MPs. It's not like they're joining a local party of 20 people. Yeah. And it's like, well, I could go up to be MP and end up mm. doing it. You know, I think people don't hold those illusions anymore. Mm. And any kind of like, as you say, deselection or mass party democracy can only be a good thing. And if fucking Corbyn does one thing, mm. even if he doesn't get to be prime minister, well, originally, the only thing that's going to blow this out is mass democracy. I'm pretty certain originally that was his only plan because he didn't I think, think he it could was. win. Yeah, yeah. Because he didn't think he could win. Yeah. Um, he just wanted to make it more democratic. Yeah. Which is a noble goal. Yeah, it's a very noble goal. It's um. It's the only way we, we're going to get out of this. Mm. Like, it's the only way of ensuring that past Corbyn... Mm. Like, I don't like the kind of politics that there's... George Eaton has been coming like back around because he's not been as mean about Corbyn. And I Make feel like off. focusing around the personality mm. of Corbyn and whether someone's anti or pro mm. is like not exactly that helpful. Mm. But the things that... I mean, Corbyn, I'd actually, I think he's very good at managing it and doesn't do anything particularly to encourage it he does photo ops and things like that but they kind of advance his his like personal brand in, in a way mm. that is not quite like trying to kind of model the party around himself but he's, yeah. he seems to be proceeding with it but like I say if he does one good thing it will be to get out people like Frank Fields who have apparently stuck around for decades despite having nothing mm. in common with the Labour rank and file Absolutely nothing. And I would argue probably not as much to do with the British public as a whole as he thinks. Yeah. No, I don't think any of them would go for motorway concentration camps. I don't know, it's probably... It's probably as got, said in a single sentence. When you say it like in a single sentence like that... He's probably got a lot of supporters at the, old, at the local Rotary Club. <laughs> So that's us for this week. Mm -hmm. uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, you can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. Uh, you can also follow us on Blueberry. Can you follow us on that? Uh, yeah, you can subscribe. Uh, there was a question the other week about people who didn't want to use iTunes, which I totally understand. Oh, yeah. um, I, Blueberry I and... One. I could do the other one that podcasts go on. What are they on? SoundCloud. I don't know how to do it. No, oh, I could work out how to do it. But, uh, we're on Blueberry as well. We're on Blueberry as well if you want a non iTunes alternative. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. up for this week. All right. Bye. Bye.